Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Dr. Katina Sawyer. And welcome to Thriving at Work, a Worker Being podcast. You can learn more about us on our website, workerbeing.com, or on social media, or you can support our community. You can find more details on workerbeing.com slash community. So today, we're going to be talking about a report that came out of the APA, the American Psychological Association, that basically gives a rundown or like a, I'm trying to blank on the word, but an overview of the working world in the U.S. today. So it's kind of like a snapshot of how people are feeling about things in the in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, from our perspective. So I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be a good one. That sounds awesome. I would really enjoy learning more about that. And I haven't seen this report. So um, that sounds like a really useful, practical thing to be bringing up. Yes, it is. I hadn't seen it either. I literally was logging in to APA's website to look at um, different journal articles. And this was like on the homepage. And I was like, oh, this is super relevant. I think we're going to do this and not a peer reviewed journal today. Just because I thought it was, yeah, I thought it was relevant, interesting, Um, And it just kind of gives a picture, a snapshot of where the world is or where the U.S., at least the working world in the U.S. is today. Um, So I thought it was important. But before we dive into it, I would love your perspective. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing the American workforce today? Hmm. Whoa, that's a really big question. I know. What do I think (laughs) is the biggest challenge facing the American workforce? You know... Well, I think that there are a couple of things. I guess like the broadest scope thing is that I feel like the amount of income inequality and the disgruntledness of people who realize that their jobs could be better and their pay could be better um, and that people at the top of organizations are resource rich and in fact got like a lot wealthier in the pandemic. Um, I think post pandemic people are like a little more fed up with having to deal with that kind of thing. So I think that there could be some like murmurings of like, you know, more, more worker revolutionary type things of people pushing for uh, more accountability, responsibility at the top of organizations. Like I think there's just more transparency and awareness. And as people start to realize how those things are changing I think that uh, people are just, they're willing to put up with less from their employers, I think. And I think that's one thing that might end up being a big shift. But the other is also like a post-pandemic thing, which is I think like just this tension between virtual work and on-site work Mm -hmm. and how companies are going to grapple with people recognizing that they can do their jobs from home and companies wanting them to come back. And some people also wanting to come back and other people not wanting to come back. And the research that we know, there are a lot of pros to working from home. So I do think that's going to become another mm-hmm. kind of a uh, big, big thing that people are going to have to reckon with in a really real way. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And I actually think the two are very related because there's like a control component, right? It's like the the people that have benefited and resource rich, as you said, um, at the top of organizations are also the people that like want to maintain that control. And I think that is where this return to office is 
not maybe consciously, but it's somewhat coming from, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, now we're losing control of these employees. These employees are recognizing that we are no longer, um, you know, maybe paying in an equitable fashion, or there's these big disparities, this big wage gap that's happening. And the more they're off on their own doing something, the more they can quote quiet quit, mm-hmm. the more they have control and we want the control. So I think yeah. there's like a control aspect underlying all of this. Um, but I think you're so right because like, I'm even thinking about the right, I mean, I'm in LA, so the writer strikes, uh, yeah. SAG after a strike strikes, like huge strikes that are happening. And, and then like Bob Iger comes out and is like, well, what the actors want is unreasonable with his $27 million a year. Right. Salary. Like, like <laughs> right. absurd. And it's right. not like, it's not like, um, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio is being there like, I don't make enough money. It's more right. like the extras are not making any money or people want. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but one of the big fights with the with SAG-AFTRA is they want to basically, if you're an extra or someone in the scene in a film, they want to be able to scan your image and then use it in different movies. So mm-hmm. like if you're sitting at a restaurant and you're just like eating a meal in the background of a scene. They could scan you and then in like three movies use you, but you go and get paid for those. Three oh, movies. that's crazy. Yeah. So it's like basically they own your likeness, but then that also hurts your chances to work for a different studio because now mm. like, let's say, let's say Sony owns that image of you in the restaurant. Well, now Disney can't scan you because Sony already owns you. So that's it's just crazy. like you. It, yeah. It's wild. So they're acting as if it's like these rich, wealthy actors that are really trying to be money hungry but ultimately it's not about them at all yeah it's really about all the other people that are in sag after that do not make millions of dollars that right you know maybe just right. want to own their own likeness <laughs> yeah that's yeah. wild i know i could go on forever about these things i've been listening to it a lot and again like it impacts like danny's work it impacts a lot of people i know around me so yeah um but i do think it kind of gets to what you were saying like there here's like some it's like one of the biggest strikes that Hollywood's ever seen. And I think there's more of this kind of stuff to come because of this disparity and then this like fight for control. And it's, it's really interesting, but yeah. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're right. I agree with you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, I think if there's one thing, um, and this was a very specific study on chief diversity officers, but we did it kind of pre and post pandemic. And one thing I can say is that they were just like, we're done. Like, we don't want to, we want to do our job on our own terms and we don't, we're like sick of people telling us that they don't have budget for stuff and they don't have like, how, for how long are you going to say that this is not important enough to prioritize? Because that's what mm-hmm. you're saying. You you have the money, you're just not prioritizing it. So um, I think people are starting to get irritated the more they realize that like they're being told one thing, but that the reality of what's going on or like, you know, we need to come back into the office because it's better for productivity. And people are like, is it really? Or like, is that just like what you're saying because you want us back? You know, like stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah. in any event, that's what I think. But I'm curious to hear what the report has to say, because I'm guessing that they have a thought on this, maybe. Yeah. So it's um, the question I asked was much broader. This this survey was a little bit more narrow. So it's like work in America surveys, what they called it. And it's really, I mean, it's coming from the Psychological Association, right? So APA, Mm -hmm. American Psychological Association. So it's obviously focused on like psychological health, mental health, well-being. So it's not really getting, I mean, all of those things obviously impact mental health and well-being for sure. 
But the way the questions in the survey were framed didn't really get fully at some of those issues. Mm-hmm. But the things that I'll just kind of go into the takeaways first. And that yeah. kind of gets to the main points. The main things that we can say definitively is uh, happening in America around this topic. Um, so number one. of workers say that it's important that their company values emotional, mental, and psychological well-being. Hmm. So that's basically everybody, Yeah, huge, huge. Yeah. Most people really care about that. And those are only people that agree. So, like, if anybody responded neutral, like, that other 7% could be neutral and disagrees. Um, So just keeping that in mind. Also... On top of that, so they care about it. The takeaway number two is that 55% of workers think that their employer thinks the workplace is healthier than it actually is, Hmm. Um, which kind of gets to some of this, right? Interesting. That we've been talking about. And then my third key takeaway is that 57% of employees are experiencing symptoms that are associated with burnout. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a, that's a big problem that needs fixing. And it sounds like people, you know, it could be related that so many people think that it's important because if that many people are experiencing it themselves, then it makes sense that Mm -hmm. a lot of, they have to at least know someone who's experiencing it for them to think it's important. So, um, Mm -hmm. that's really interesting. Yeah. I thought it was super interesting too. I mean, it's great that employees are really interested in this topic, Um, I think that's something that organizations need to note right away. Right. It's like a lot of people will care about this. Most people care about this. Like 7% feels like almost like a rounding error, right? Like that's not really anybody. Um, those contrarians that don't want their company to care about their wellness. I don't know what's happening in their worlds, but I think most people can agree on that. Totally. Um, and so this stat, I think just is a great one to say like, Hey company, like everybody cares about this. So you need to care about this if you want your employees to stay with you, be engaged, you know, productive, et cetera. And then also if you want to attract anybody um, that is, you know, wanting to work in a place or that cares about these things. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a huge, huge point um, for employers. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds absolutely – this sounds like an extremely important report. Um, so mm-hmm. do you want to tell us a little bit about – how they did it or some background on kind of how they got to these takeaways and um, maybe some more detail around that. Yeah. I mean, well, the report is long, so I'm going to include a link because it's just like stat after stat after stat. Yeah. After stat. Okay. Like there's a ton of stats in <laughs> Full here. Full of stuff. Um, yeah. Which I obviously cannot go through all of that unless, I mean, that'd be extremely boring. Um, we don't want to do that, but it was yeah, run by, <laughs> it was run by um, Harris online polls. Hmm. So just like, you know, any kind of other poll that you're really doing, but it's like, obviously the survey questions I think are, were pretty strong that I looked at them. Um, but it's a online poll and they used like all the things Katina that you would be familiar with to make sure that like the data is accurate and that we're not like seeing false questions or, mm-hmm. you know, people clicking and responding, like agree to everything or whatever. Um, and so they did that and it was basically, they were looking at um, employed adults. So you had to be over 18. Okay. You had to be employed. Yep. And then they like, they weighted the data based on a variety of things, right? So they looked at things like 
gender differences, age differences, race, marital status, household size, income, part-time, full-time, all that kind of stuff. So they looked at everything um, to see if there were any differences. So they asked all those questions, the demographics, and then they asked a bunch of different questions around um, workplace wellness and that, and that, the way they were framing it was around like mental health, emotional health, hmm. psychological health. Um, they talked about, they measured things like um, what are workplaces providing, which I'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. And but ultimately, this survey was framed around the Surgeon General's five workplace essentials. So I don't know okay. if we talked about that before on the podcast, have we? I don't think so. No. So it would be good to maybe recap those. Yeah. So. Um, I don't know if you've read them in detail, but basically, and I think it was in October or November, the Surgeon General came out with a framework for workplace mental health and well-being. Um, and it's basically like, here are the five essentials that you need in a workplace. And the five that they selected, um, which, you know, there were people like us involved in this. So it's not like it came out of nowhere. Um, but the five they selected was protection from harm. Hmm. Um, which includes like security and feeling safe and toxic work environments, stuff like that. Um, connection and community. So that's like okay. social support and belonging. Yep. Um, work-life harmony, which includes things like autonomy and flexibility. Hmm. Um, mattering at work. So including yeah. things like meaning at work, stuff like that. And then, and also um, they also included like dignity in that one, which is like people are treating you with respect and like a human. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then the last one is opportunity for growth, which is learning just basically like, are you able to learn and accomplish things on the job? So those are the five that the surgeon general identified as like the workplace essentials. Cool. And so then what they did is ask questions in all of these five areas. And there's like a ton of findings under those. So there's a lot in here to unpack. Yeah. I mean, and those sound pretty core to what we know mm-hmm. as IO psychologists are really important for comprehensively approaching um, well-being in life and in work. Uh, so I think those sound pretty solid. Um, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. we see stuff come out in various reports um, where we're like, I don't know, like, seems like maybe they were trying to push things in this direction or that direction. It's not really representative, but it feels like those five cover a lot of bases that we would say are really important. Completely agree. Yeah. So I felt really good about it. And that's kind of what drew me to this report is like, you know, I know people have talked about the Surgeon General's framework and stuff about um, workplace well-being. And then now the APA is doing the survey. So like it's not, you know, what we typically do in our podcast, right, where we're talking about like this led to this and this right. this yep. or this causes that. It's more of just like an understanding of where people are today. Yeah. Um, and I think that's really important just so yeah. that we know, like, is this something we should be focusing on and caring about? And obviously we think it is. And now this report kind of supports that too. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, you know, think about, and the research we usually cover is about predictive analytics, right? It's about you know, trying to understand what leads to what, like you said, but sometimes descriptive data where it's saying this percentage of people feel this way or that percentage of people are experiencing this um, is also really helpful because you can get a huge sample of people to fill it out and really get a sense of the pop, like a pulse of the population um, mm-hmm. in a way that's more challenging to do when you're doing surveys that take a really long time and you have to incentivize people heavily to do them. Sample sizes are smaller. So Um, pros and cons of both. And it's good to have this on here as well. 
Yeah, exactly. So this is a big sample. You've got like that kind of overview, that picture, and then that can inform what you want to do from like a predictive perspective, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So just to kind of dig in deeper, the other stat I had mentioned was that 55% of workers think that their employer doesn't know how mentally healthy the workplace Mm -hmm. is, right? They think it's better than it actually is. Um, And then... 43% actually said that if they had a mental health condition, they were worried that it would have a bad impact on them, um, that they would go into the workplace and have some sort of consequence of that. Mm. So overall, that's a really big percentage of the population that's sitting there thinking like, oh, I can't speak up if I have a mental health challenge and and or my company doesn't get it. Like they think we're okay, but we're actually struggling. Okay. Um, Yep. Yeah. So that's so unfortunate. Yeah. So people are really reporting that they feel like their company is kind of missing the mark. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And then like kind of from there that led to them talking about some of the stress um, impacts. And so 77% of workers reported having some sort of work related stress in the last month. And then 57% had some of those symptoms that I mentioned that are re- related to burnout. So things like exhaustion, mm-hmm things like, um, you know, feeling ineffective, stuff like that. Okay. Gotcha. So I guess what it's painting is that employees are recognizing that there's an issue. They're reporting that there's an issue, but they also are not feeling as if their companies are being supportive in the way that they should be. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. And they actually had some quotes, which I thought was super interesting Hmm. to have quotes in this type of a survey. Um, So they had a quote from an employee. This is one male full-time employee from the South described the problem with his workplace as follows. So he said, workload, not having enough employees and working long hours have a negative impact on my overall mental health, happiness, and well-being. Um, mm. So clear, that's like representative of kind of like what people are thinking, um, which is why they included that, co- that quote. Yeah. And it kind of leads to like the reality of like what is being offered. So I can talk about that too, if that's helpful. Yeah, that sounds good because I think, you know, without understanding what companies are doing, it could be easy to think that employees are just like, well, they don't, they're not doing it. You know, we hear a lot, especially in the wellness space, because people don't um, often prioritize it the way that we know they should based on the research. It's like, oh, people are just complaining for no reason. But in this instance, I feel like uh, it could be really interesting to hear like, okay, well, they're saying that they're feeling one way because of like your quote said overwork and things of that nature. So what are companies doing to address it? I'm curious because um, we might see some misalignment between some of what that quote represented and what they said was representative of the data and what companies are putting in place. Yeah. So totally agree with you. And I think that what they found is that overall people are not providing that much like employers are not providing that much and we've talked about this like there's wellness programs some companies will have quote wellness programs but it might just be like here's a discount on like gyms or whatever and that's not really a holistic program this goes even more basic only 43 percent of the employers that um you know the employees reported having a health insurance coverage for mental health and substance abuse issues wow that's 43 percent. That's so low. Yeah, that is so low. Yeah. yeah. Especially when you have, you know, for employees to report that they're experiencing burnout 
honestly, people think that people are like whiners and complainers or whatever. They're really not. People are unlikely to name their condition as something. Like more people are more likely to be like, well, I'm feeling a little tired lately. I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, but I wouldn't call it burnout, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel like it's interesting that, and and not good, <laughs> that uh, less than half the companies are offering these sorts of services, but more than half of the people said they're experiencing were willing to like name and report what they experienced as burnout. Well, and actually they weren't even asked about burnout specifically. They're asked if they experience emotional exhaustion. Are they mm. feeling, you know, ineffective? Are they feeling um, less motivated, things like that. So they actually ask more about the symptom level, um, which to me feels like it's probably more accurate, um, mm, yeah. than asking about burnout specifically, but that means still that's a huge number of people, 57% of people saying that they have some sort of workplace burnout type symptoms. Like that's a lot of people. And like you said, is misaligned with the number of people that are getting mental health, um, right. support in their health insurance and mental health help can cost a lot of money and so if your coverage doesn't cover that like that's that's wild yeah absolutely oh totally and I agree that it it's cool and interesting that they ask them at the symptom level because that's more like and not to get too into the weeds of how our research works for the listeners but just so people listening can understand a little bit usually when we assess something we don't ask people like are you burnout or not we ask them multiple items that get at different facets of burnout that helps us to understand on average what they're experiencing, how much they're experiencing. So it sounds like they used a little bit more of that approach maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did. I mean, ultimately this is the APA that did this poll. So (laughs) I think that they used pretty good practices here. Um, I guess, you know, those other psychologists also know what they're doing. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) true. Um, But yeah, so that was a big one. The other thing is another program people point to a lot as like well we do support mental health we have an EAP an employee assistance program well mm-hmm. only 29% reported having that wow. I part of me wonders a little bit if there's maybe some uh lack of knowledge of it because they're not communicated very well within organizations um but either way only 29% of people feel like it exists at all so whether it does mm. exist or doesn't exist but they aren't aware of it yeah is a different you know I'm not sure but um that's really low really it is low. and also I mean if it exists but you're not aware of it it's like you said like uh that's a little bit better I guess than not existing at all but if it exists and people don't know about it then there may be either something about the culture that's not supporting people discussing that the availability of that, or there could be just like poor communication about benefits, which isn't helpful. So something else broken in that system for sure. Yeah. And ultimately, if you don't know it exists, it basically doesn't exist, right? Like, right. Because yes. you can't access it. Totally. Um, so yeah. So 29% report that they have it, which is nothing. Yeah. Um, the other things they looked at are like specific... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Specific cultural components or like less programmatic, but more like things that they do within the company, like practices mm-hmm. that can help with things like mental health. Um, so they did look at a few different things there. And so those are super interesting. So I'm just going to read them all off and we can talk about it. But yeah. it was only 35% said that their employer offers a culture where breaks are encouraged. Hmm. Only 21% report that they offer meeting-free days. Only Mm. 17% report that they offer four-day work weeks. 
Only 15% report that there are company-wide mental health days. And only 12% say that people on site have received any mental health training to, you know, suss out a crisis if one is occurring. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting because those feel like um, practices that people introduced as more like, you know, it feels like those should have been more mainstreamed by now. Like we remember a time uh, a few years ago when those things were newly introduced to the workplace and there's research that supports that people are just as productive in a four day work week as a five day work week. And there's research that supports, um, you know, these, these other uh, trends that you had mentioned in the data that used to be these like new eye opening things. And now it feels like, okay, these things have been around for a little while and it, I guess the data suggesting that they haven't been mainstreamed. Yeah, pretty much. Like they're suggesting that people are just not doing it, right? There's just not a lot of it. And like even the culture one, like that's not a very, that's not the same thing as doing a 40 work week. That's not the same right. t- thing as saying like everybody gets a mental health day today and so right. no one works yep. today. Yep. Like that is just saying like you can get up from your desk and take a break. Like right. <laughs> only 35% of people say that that's, what happens in their workplace? Yeah, like that's right. that's way way lower than I would have yeah, guessed. Yeah, because that's not like a new thing. I mean, being able to take breaks is uh, not something that should be a luxury. Um, being encouraged to take breaks. I mean, and I guess I could see like if someone asks, you know, are you encouraged to take breaks? Like, do they let you take your required breaks for like hourly workers? Like, I'm sure they do, but for folks that um, don't have scheduled breaks, I could imagine, yeah, like based on what I've, you know, experienced and what I've heard from other friends working, I can imagine that people feel like they're not encouraged to take breaks. Like it's hard to even find time to like pee in the middle of the day in the, in between meetings, you know what I mean? So it's, it's not good, but I guess if I really think about the encouragement, piece it's like yeah I don't know that people are being encouraged yeah I think you're right like when I really think about it I'm like oh it's pro that makes sense especially for non-hourly like you're like you're saying there is some mandated breaks and so hopefully for hourly workers those are at least existing but um for everybody else that you know is salaried and they're they're kind of the way they work is a little bit different I could totally see that. I mean, how many times, and the, the, the behavior is not modeled either. Like I can tell you how many times I've been into in calls with leaders across a variety of organizations and they're all eating their lunch on a call. Yeah. Uh, and I've done it. I've done that so many times. Yeah. I've been on a team meeting with my team and I'll be like, sorry, I have to eat my lunch really quick. And and then I'm modeling the same bad behavior right. uh, to all of them. And so then it just becomes this like norm that you just sit and eat your lunch in a meeting. And that's right. like the one meeting you, take, you get to turn your camera off for, you know, like, yeah, it's just, totally. uh, it's, it's like creating this like environment where people are feeling that they can't, they can't walk away. They can't step away. And, you know, with Zoom and Slack and all these things where you're pinging people all the time too, that like, even if they do walk away to go get their lunch, they still are getting messages and are likely expected to respond to those messages as timely as possible. So then yeah. now they're, even their break when they're not sitting at the desk is still something they're po- probably not fully disconnecting from. Yeah. And also I think, you know, especially in, virtual work where people will just like grab time on your calendar 
and not think that you need transition time between meetings, which I think is a little bit of a difference. Like people at least before recognize that if you had to like leave a meeting and walk down for a meeting, you're probably going to be a few minutes late getting there. If you like stop at the bathroom on the way in the office, it's like, they're like, Oh, you know, she's in the bathroom. She'll be there in a minute, whatever. But at home, um, and you're, you know, just having to pop into a zoom, even though you could totally do that and, you know, send a quick message saying, I'm going to be a few minutes late. I just had to like take a bio break or whatever. People don't really do it or don't seem to feel as comfortable doing it. So you're like in thing after thing after thing and it can get really stressful. So I think that's maybe why people are saying it's not encouraged because it's like, um, there's this norm of just stack all your meetings one after another and figure out when you'll take care of any other needs in between <laughs> mm -hmm. um, if you ever get to them. So that that's yeah. interesting, although sad. Um, so sad. So <laughs> do they have like recommendations for what organizations should do based on what they learned at all? They don't really. I mean, like I said, they did frame a lot of the findings in the five workplace essentials. So mm -hmm. that's kind of like the overview. I mean, like I said, this is a long report with a lot of stats that we can talk about. Yeah. Um, so we're not going to do all of it. But when we look at the five workplace essentials, they talk about like how many people are saying that they're in a toxic work environment. Mm -hmm. And then they break it down by like industry. And then so like there's some like details around like where places or maybe you want to focus on. Sure. And then they also had like sidebars where it'd be like, actually Tammy Allen was featured in one of them. So one of our mm. uh, fellow IOs, yeah. um, like they, they put a couple things on the side. It's like, here's a tip from something that Tammy Allen once said. And here's, so they gave, give a couple things on the side yeah. bar that can guide you in the right direction, but it's not, there's not a ton. So, yeah. um, I think kind of the work that we've done in terms of bringing that research to light is kind of a good complement to this type of a report. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think, you know, just understanding the scope of a problem can be a good first step for solving it. So um, there's a lot of value in understanding what's going on and what the gaps are. And also for people, I mean, I think this is a really useful tool and I'm glad that you pointed to this report because I also think it's really, really helpful for people to be able to bring reports like this to their employers because it's not just like, oh, look, like we're just this like whining, complaining group of people that's unlike other employees in other places. And um, I think, you know, sometimes leaders think that um, employees are blowing things out of proportion or they need more data. Um, and so in this instance, I think that they... Um, you know, employees can bring this to their employer to show like, hey, it's not just us. And also there is this discrepancy um, and we should probably start brainstorming about ways to solve it. Agreed. 100% agreed. I think it is super important to have this kind of information. I'm going to end us on a note where I'm going to give two stats that are sad and one stat that is good. So okay. that's how we're going to end. So at least there's going to okay. be on a somewhat positive note. Yes. <laughs> I'll take it. Okay. So the work-life harmony section I thought was interesting because it's kind of like think, talking about things that we talk about a lot, like um, boundaries, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So they have a stat in here that 26% of employees think that they do not get respect for their personal boundaries at work. Hmm. Um, so that's not massive, uh, there's a lot of people that say they don't feel like they have flexibility, things like that. But 26% basically are like, my employer does not respect my boundaries at mm, all. That's interesting. Which is sad. 
Yeah, it is. Sad. Um, yeah. And then there's, uh, there's additional stats around how, uh, like less than four or like 40% say that their time off is respected. So that means what 60% of employees don't feel like their time off is respected. So stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, is going on. There's yeah. this other, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, um, it feels like the, like, even though you're saying it's not the majority, it's still like, wow, if you think about that chunk of the workforce and how many like millions of people that represents, that's a lot. Exactly. Which leads to my second sad stat, which is 29% of workers felt like they don't matter to their employer. Oh, that's sad. I know. It was so sad. (laughs) You do matter. If you took the survey and you're listening, you matter to us. (laughs) You matter. Um, I know. But that is a shame. I mean, that's like a terrible feeling, right? To be like, no one cares. That's horrible. I know. It's really sad. Hmm. But then the positive thing is 74% of employees feel like they're, they're satisfied with the growth and development they get at work. Hmm. So that's really cool. That is cool. So I guess that's kind of interesting. So I guess, you know, I wonder if when people are answering those questions and they're thinking about whether or not they matter to their employer – I wonder if they're thinking about like mattering to the company, but when they're thinking about growth and development, it's really about the individual relationships that they've made with their managers that are helping to create that like silver lining that Mm -hmm. they feel like they're able to develop and grow because of more proximal relationships that they have, as opposed to like, do I matter to the organization? Like, no, I don't think the organization, I think the organization would, you know, could replace me and wouldn't cry about it. But maybe the other piece of it that's is more about what their their manager or people close to them are coaching them or allowing them to do. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think there's definitely a component there that's likely related to the manager themselves um, versus the broader employer. Their company feels like they matter, right? Um, because maybe the manager, if they ask, do you does your man do you matter to your manager? They might answer differently. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. so I think there's that. And then like some of the development questions are kind of around, like, do they have opportunities to be like creative in their work? Um, do they feel like there's a chance to reach their potential? So there are some questions in here that I think are a slightly different bend. So mm-hmm. I could see how they might be responding a little bit differently to these, but regardless, I think that there is a positive. So when you're thinking about if you're an employer, if you're a leader listening to this, like there's a lot of room for opportunity of growth, right? For the employer to do better around well-being. But it sounds yeah. like at least, you know what? Most people are doing okay with development. So let's keep that going. Let's not lose that. People want to feel like they're growing. They want to feel like they can advance. So let's continue to provide trainings and opportunities for that um, as we work on these other areas um, where we can hopefully make employees feel like they matter, give them some less stress, you know, all of those things that yeah. are super important. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So there is a there is a bright spot. And maybe if you're a manager and you're listening to this and you're in an organization where you feel like these boundaries are not respected at upper levels and, you know, people aren't made to feel valued, maybe think about what is in your scope to shift that conversation as well. 
Exactly. Well, I'm glad that we walked through this today. I thought it was important. I will yeah. have a link, of course, in the show notes. So if somebody wants to dive into the other stats, it's all there for you. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate you bringing this up. And it's really important. It's a big data set um, coming from the largest authority on psychology in America. So I think that that is really, really useful. Cool. Well, thank you all for listening. Hopefully you all found it helpful as well. As I mentioned, show notes will have all the details for you. Um, and then in addition, you know, if you want to learn more about us or about our community, you can find all of that on our website. And we'd encourage you to check us out on LinkedIn as we continue to share content there all the time for all of you listeners. Thanks for listening. Thriving at Work is hosted by us, Dr. Patricia Grabarek and Dr. Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson.